With the Chase Inc. Business Unlimited credit card, you get unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase. It's so simple, you don't even have to think about it. So think about opening your shop early. Earlier. Don't think about the 1.5% cash back. Think about automating some of your operations. Think about delivering across town, across country, across oceans. Think about every part of your business, except the one part that works without a thought. Your Inc. Business Unlimited card. Learn more at chase.com slash inc. Restrictions and limitations apply. Offers subject to change. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank NA member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. My dad became sick two weeks before I deployed. So it was only my mom to deal with all the bills. So she couldn't keep up. The bank was like, nope, sorry. And came and put like a sticker on our house and locked the doors and said we had to get out. I literally got off the airport, like in my uniform, my dirty boots, right? And then we jumped in the car and drove to the nursing home. I remember just walking down that shiny hallway and into my dad's room. And I woke him up and he's like, Katie. And he was so happy and he was like so proud. And then he literally pissed his pants. And I was like, it's like, okay. I was furious at everyone. I was furious at myself, mad at him, mad at my mom. Like, how does this happen? I was like a little child. I was screaming. I was cursing President Bush. I was cursing everyone that ever put us in that war. I was mad because it destroyed my family. And then I jumped on a flight back to Iraq for another six months. And and that, to me, was the most comfort. If the number of tattoos someone had told you how much of a badass that person was... I would be the guy at the bar that looks like he snuggles with kittens and listens to hollow notes at the gym. Full disclosure, I am, and I do. I've got one tattoo. It's my airborne tap. It's stenciled onto my left shoulder, right where it would be sewn onto my uniform. I got it in honor of my father. Do any of these mean anything? I have a couple army tattoos. Kate Hoyt has a full sleeve. And it is as badass as she is. When I say that I'm a veteran, I always get like, was it hard? Are you okay? I enjoyed my deployment. For many of us combat veterans, we're not just fighting the wars we deploy to overseas. Sometimes we're fighting the wars back home as well. What was harder? The war or the war at home? (laughs) The war at home. This is Battle Scars. And I'm Tom Tran. I served in the U.S. Army, deployed to Iraq, and took a sniper's bullet to the back of my head my fourth day in country. It's been over a decade since that gunfight, and I've told that story hundreds of times. There's still things about my life in combat that I haven't shared with anyone. And in this show, I talk to other veterans of our recent wars, and maybe put into words some of those things that we've never said about those experiences. That sounds super douchey. Yes. <laughs> super douchey. <laughs> I've had the honor of meeting lots of veterans for these episodes of Battle Scars, but Kate is the first veteran friend I've been able to have on the show. We met through a veterans organization that tries to help accurately portray veterans in the media 
and we've been friends ever since. Even though we've known each other for several years, I still got to learn more about her, and I found out that we had a lot more in common than just our service in the U.S. Army and our tattoos. You're from upstate New York? Yeah. Albany? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was going to move to Schenectady. Oof. Why? I was up for the job of the, and do not laugh, the New York State Lotto Ball guy. Shut up. Yes. Why didn't you do that? Because I would have had to move to fucking Schenectady. Yeah. What was Albany like? Oh, um, Albany's not bad. I mean, I, I grew up in a suburb outside of Albany okay. called Del Mar. It was a house that my grandfather had built after World War II for like $6,000. Small town, single child. Mm, only child. Only child. Well, yeah. I say single child like it. You had an option. <laughs> <laughs> but my dad was married previously and had three sons who were okay. way older than me. But I never like grew up with them. So I just always say only child. You're so him. my dad had me when he was 50 and my mom was 35. Holy so I shit. got like the old version of my dad. Only child. Yep. You and your dad were close. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Growing up, we were kind of best friends. My household was a little nutty. Both parents struggled with alcohol. What was it like... To watch your parents who were dealing with alcoholism. I, I know, like, I remember my dad drinking, but I didn't know what alcoholism was until, oddly, uh, until I came home from Iraq and had to deal with my own demons. What was watching your parents deal with alcoholism like? I remember I graduated, I don't know, like third or fourth grade, and my dad was on his way and got a DUI, so it didn't show up. You know, come home and mix vodka with Pepsi. Like, that was that was a drink of choice. Or little things. Um, my dad once killed my goldfish that lived a really long time because he was drunk and put, like, really cold water in the bowl. So it was just, like, little things like that. And when, they, and when they were both struggling, I was attached to my mom's hip because I was you know, scared of my dad, not in, and not in like a physical abusive way or anything like that. He would just yell late at night and I would just shake from it. So I would go in and like sleep with my mom. But I knew it wasn't normal because I would see my other friend's parents and I would always make excuses to go sleep at other people's houses. That was kind of the situation growing up. And then as I got older, I would throw alcohol down the drains or hide it or yell at them and be like, you know, you don't need that tonight or like, driving me somewhere like i like i just tried to find reasons why they couldn't drink so it was like a battle that i tried to fight for years and then then it it worked with my with my dad when i was 12 to get him to stop drinking why did he get sober man why did he get sober so i think it was just constant nagging on my end i was really a stubborn kid and i would just throw out their alcohol and scream and yell um and i just wanted a sense of normalcy and i think something just triggered and he decided to clean up his act so you were really the linchpin for them, for him getting sober. I think so. And I, I think it was his support system. Like he would go to AA meetings and come back with like his coins and he was really proud. And the gentleman that lived next door ended up being my dad's sponsor for AA. So he always had that support system as well. So for eight years, I got had like the best dad in the entire world. He ended up being like my best friend and the person I could turn to who always was there for me, like literally bought me tampons, my you know bras, gave me money to go to the mall. During high school, um, we would always go to parties and, you know, he'd have the little police scanner set up and he would be like, Katie, the cops are coming. Like, get out of the woods. Like, come home. Like, he always just had my back. <laughs> what was he, a 1930s, like, Stop, radio guy? Yes. Hey, let me tell you, the cops are on their way. <laughs> that that to- was basically him. Yeah. And he was sober until I found out I was deploying to Iraq when I was 20 years old.
James, there is a lot to worry about when you're planning a wedding. There are logistics that have to do with clothes, with flowers, with food, with all of those things. And one thing you don't want to have to worry about is your feminine care. And that's where Lola comes in. Lola is a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, and liners. They started their company with a simple and seemingly obvious idea. Women shouldn't have to compromise when it comes to feminine care products. I love that it's been founded by women for women. They offer pads and liners as well as non-applicator tampons for those looking for a more environmentally friendly option. Lola's products are 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics or dyes. And they make your month a little bit easier. Their subscription is fully customizable so you can choose your mix of products, your perfect mix of absorbency, your number of boxes and frequency of delivery. And James, let me tell you, as a woman who menstruates and as a woman who uses Lola, Lola's totally changed my life. I'm not running off in the middle of the night to the corner store to get feminine care because this is coming straight to my door. And when Megan has Lola, she won't have to do that either. She's not going to have to leave Kensington to go off on the main street and try and find some tampons in the middle of the night. And because we love you, we've sorted 40% off your first order. Visit mylola.com and enter promo code MARRY when you subscribe. That's promo code MARRY at mylola.com for 40% off your first order. Something else Kate and I had in common. We both come from military families. My father was an Air Force pilot in Vietnam and later a prisoner of war when Saigon fell. My uncle and one of my grandfathers were both killed while serving, and I never knew them. Kate's grandfather was part of the greatest generation that fought in World War II. Her father served in Korea, so when a family friend recruited her into the Army in 2001, it seemed natural. It was a step towards a career she wanted to pursue in the FBI. I was waiting tables, um, and my mom called the restaurant and was like, Katie, one of your sergeants just called the house, and they said it was important. I was like, oh, no. I, and she's like, give them the work, your work number. So I was like, okay. Uh, hung up the phone a couple seconds later. They called the restaurant, hung up the phone, went outside. I was like, fuck, and like cried for a second. <laughs> and then like walked back into the pizza shop and grabbed a pizza and like delivered it to people. Um, and then went home later that night and yeah, told my parents that, yeah, you're right. I'm deploying. What was dad's reaction when he got home? Was he trying to hide any emotion from you or? Yeah, I think he was. And I think, and then closer to the date when I would be leaving is when he relapsed and began uh, drinking again. So that is when I started to see the impact and the toll it was going to take on him. So within days? Yeah, it was pretty soon. I mean, man, it, yeah, he maybe like a week or two. Like, And then I didn't know what to do. I called. I, obviously, I yelled and screamed and threw out alcohol like I always did. And then I called the neighbor, his former AA sponsor, and I was like, hey, dad relapsed. He was like, all right, I'm going to a meeting Maybe it was that night. And my dad was already wasted. I was like, you can't bring a wasted man to an AA meeting. Like, or maybe you do. I don't know. Um, but then I think he went the following night. Um, but that night I was just pissed. I, I like smashed glasses on the ground. I was like, why? Like, how now? Is this like the most important time like in my life? Are you going to are you going to do this? Um, and then I packed my bags and took off to a friend's house like I would do when I was a kid. And I got to my friend's house, spent the night next morning i'm like pulling out of her driveway and slam into a car i was like can this keep getting better and better and then called my dad right because that's the person i always call when shit like that happens and he was and he was pissed and but he was seemed a little more sober went home um and i think maybe that night or like the next day we ended up going to an aa meeting and i brought my me my mom and my dad and we were eating cookies (laughs) trying to talk through it my dad 
you know, stood up, said a few words, um, said that he relapsed and was back there for, for help again. Not everybody has good deployment experiences. I had to I had to burn a lot of shit with diesel fuel. Oof. Didn't the VA have to like cough up some money for that or some shit? Like <laughs> a bunch of people were like, we got sick from burning shit with diesel fuel. We didn't yeah. know we'd get sick for that. It's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, oddly, not one of the favorite memories from Iraq. Like you had a better deployment experience than most people, would you say? I guess in a weird way, yeah. I, I deployed with a unit out of Queens, New York. Like, my roommate was a sassy Dominican. Like, a lot of my friends it were just these group of women that I I guess in upstate New York I would never just, like, roll with. So I I just... They were they were wonderful, and they were hysterical, and we they taught me how to dance, and they taught me how to salsa, and they were just ended up being some of my best girlfriends. So that was one positive from the deployment, but it was also the ability to... You know, fall in love with the power of writing and photography and be able to see the war from many different perspectives, you know, get a grasp on like what, you know, the Kurds are doing in northern Iraq or what it looks like literally to see men medevaced in and how real that is and got to travel around a little bit. I don't know. It, w- it was an eye-opening deployment that I was lucky enough to come home totally fine and make good friends and fall in love with um, journalism. And that was kind of what set my entire career on path and brought me to where I am today. Best decision I ever, ever made. At home, things were not so great. Her dad was sick, really sick. Three months into my deployment, locked himself in the room, stopped eating, stopped going to work. Like it was just bad for um, a few months. One day he opened up the door and like walked down our stairs and just sat on the living room floor. And my mom was like, you know, what is happening? And like went over and like shook him like, Bill, Bill, like what what's going on? And he just started talking about his mother who had passed away years ago. And I was like, oh, no, like something's not right. And my dad was like 5'8", and he got down to like 110 pounds. So he the doctor said he was like on the verge of literally dying within the next few days because like everything was just off, like electrolytes, everything. Um, he was diagnosed with dementia, Alzheimer's disease. So it was only my mom to deal with all the bills. So she couldn't keep up. And the bank was like, nope, sorry. And came and put like a sticker on our house and locked the doors and said we had to get out. And there was no like, oh, she was in Iraq. No, I give a fuck. How does alcoholism lead to Alzheimer's? Good question. Apparently it triggered something called wet brain. I don't know. it, But it just somehow triggered early onset dementia. I think just because he got so sick and it just threw everything out of whack. And you were deployed when your dad got sick. Mm-hmm. How did you find out? <laughs> So I'm pretty stubborn, but my mom is more stubborn than I am. And I had to literally pull it out of her. I would just call home occasionally and be like, hey, like talk to my mom for a few minutes. Can I talk to dad? Oh, he's, you know, he's out. And then, you know, a couple days later, oh, can I talk to dad? Oh, he, uh, he doesn't feel good. Uh, so it went on like that for a little while. And then one night I just emailed her. I was like, hey, like, what is going on? Like, just tell me. And she didn't want to tell me because she thought I'd be too stressed. Um, and then she ended up just calling and saying dad was sick. We don't know what happened. Uh, he's in the hospital. So. And that's what the email said? Yeah, pretty much. I have like I actually wrote a story for a New York Times at War blog about learning about this through the emails. What did it say? Can, can you do you have it? Um I could pull it up. Yeah, pull it up. Okay. So March fourteenth, two thousand five. So her response was Dad is okay. He just has a stomach virus, needs rest, no need to worry, stay focused, he'll be fine. Love and miss you, mom. I responded, Mom, 
If anything's up, just tell me. I'm not playing games. Whatever it is, it won't stress me out any more than I am already now. Understand? So please just let me know, okay? I love you. March uh, 24th. No stroke, no cancer. When you lose so much weight from drinking too much and not eating, your electrolytes and vitamins are all off. It affects your muscles. That's why the doctors say dad is having such a problem with walking. I never knew this. Your deployment would affect him this way. Always mom. So that's when I, f- I found out March 24th that something was seriously wrong. I think I left a, a couple of weeks after that or a week after that. Tell me about coming home. Um, honestly, all I wanted to do was go back to Iraq. Literally got off the airport, like in my uniform, my dirty boots, right? And I, and I walk outside and I see my mom and she gives me a huge hug and like she had lost weight. Clearly she's depressed. That obviously broke my heart. And then we jumped in the car and drove to the nursing home. And I remember we're just walking down that shiny hallway and into my dad's room. And I woke him up and he's like, oh, Katie. And he's like, how's Germany? And I was like, fuck, man, this is real, right? And he like, I had my uniform on, like I said, and he ran his like fingers over my name tag. Uh, and he was so happy. And he was like so proud. And then he literally pissed his pants. And I was like, I was like, okay, this like it was a weird mind fuck. Like I didn't know what to do. Do you be strong? Do you cry? I was furious at everyone. I was furious at myself, mad at him, mad at my mom. Like, how does this happen? And I spent, you know, two weeks at home, went to visit my dad every day. And then I jumped on a flight back to Iraq for another six months. And, and that to me was the most comfort that I could possibly have. I mean, I had a good job. I liked the people that I worked with. I was working as a photojournalist, so writing and taking photographs. I was proud of my work, and that was just the only comfort that I had because I knew going home, it was going to be like a big shit show. And I was not mentally prepared for that. So you felt more comfort being in Iraq than you did back home? Oh, yeah. Uh, My goal was when I came home, I was like really considering signing up go back as a contractor make money and then i was like i can't i I can't do that like what i'm just gonna run and leave this entire situation did you feel responsible for it oh i still really feel yes i still part of me will always feel responsible because we were each other's best friends right like i turned to him he was supposed to turn to me and my dad would have gotten sick down the road but it's still knowing that i left my best friend and he couldn't cope with that do you think he was scared oh for sure i thought yeah because who else who else did he have like who else did he have like being a champion for him he didn't have anyone at that time do you think he was scared from for you maybe because uh, his little girl was yeah no going to totally war. scared yeah yeah he <laughs> yeah i mean i joined a few months after september 11th and i remember telling them that i was going to join and they were like katie you know september 11th just happened and there might be a war and I'm like, I'm like a cheerleader, bad at math. Like, I'm just a normal high school kid. I'm like, okay. In my head, I didn't fully grasp what that meant at the time. So, yeah, for sure, he was scared of me going over. And that is what set him off. I think so, yeah. The whole thing is just like every time I walked out of that place, I cried or would want to like punch somebody. I was just furious and heartbroken. And you try to have conversations and it'd be like the same conversations over and over again, right? And you try not to get mad. I, I didn't get mad. Like I, I accepted it, but I always just wanted more. Like I always just wanted him back. But it got to the point where he, you know, I remember one conversation I was sitting on the floor 
like reading him an army book, right? <laughs> and <A> my field <laughs> manual, <or>? literally, <laughs> literally, he liked that shit. That, so he, when he got sick, he only remembered like three things, and one was his time in the army. And those are he was obsessed, right? And that's the only thing. To, so I, we would always talk about those stories. So I'm like, Dad, look at this. Like literally, field manuals. Like see this. Uh, yeah. tank and he's like cool according to this dash 10 <laughs> yeah. you shall replace the light bulb in the <laughs> yeah. yeah so like it just got it just got progressively mm. worse after a long battle with alzheimer's kate's father died last february his final words to her were be safe and i was like yeah i'll be i'll be safe and he was like no be safe and i was like oh, i will be safe and i like pinky swarm to kate it felt like a moment of clarity She had her dad back for that moment, and he was still trying to protect her. Do you think he thought you were still going back to the war? I don't know. I think he knew. I think he was done. He was tired. I think that that was, I guess that's the last thing he wanted to say. And I remember my mom calling me um, to tell me that he was, you know, he wasn't doing well and that I should come home soon. And I got on the plane, went to Albany, and found out that he had passed 30 minutes before I landed, uh. drove to the nursing home again. And he was just laying in the bed covered with, you know, like with his mouth open and I just couldn't do it. And I just kept walking down the hall and I was scream. I was like a little child. I was screaming. I was furious. I was cur- cursing, you know, President Bush. <laughs> I was cursing everyone that ever put us in that war for, in my personal opinion, for no reason. I was mad because it destroyed my family. And that, to me, was a story that, like, isn't really told, right? It's always focused on the soldier and not necessarily impact on the family. So I walked into the room and I shut the door and I probably screamed, I'm sorry, for like 20 minutes. Being able to video chat like we're the Jetsons really isn't a big deal these days. Everyone has an iPhone or an Android in their pocket. But in 2003, in a war zone... That was a rare luxury. But because my team was attached to an ODA, or Operational Detachment Alpha, what people typically call a Special Forces A-team, I got to take advantage of the toys that my bigger, soft brothers had to play with. One night I was waiting to jump on to dial back home, and I caught the tail end of a conversation that John, one of the ODA guys, was having with his family. He was saying goodnight to his wife and kids, telling them that he loved them and that he was going to be home soon. I jumped on the line, called home, said hi to my dad, went out for a smoke when I still smoked, and I ran into John. And I said, hey man, how do you do it? How do you deal with all the shit happening back home and then do this without flinching? And I asked him because at the time, I didn't have that. I mean, I had parents and my siblings, but they all had families wives, husbands, kids. And in my head, I didn't have to come home. They would be okay if I didn't come home. They had each other. I was ready to give my life for the mission and damn near had my first week in Iraq. But I didn't have that waiting for me at home. I was young, selfish, and in my 20s. It's why I broke someone's heart before I deployed. I didn't want to have to have to deal with that while I was downrange. Because a distracted soldier is a dead soldier. I believed that. Some of us didn't have that option, though. Some of us had families waiting, blood or marriage. Some of us 
had to fight the war both home and abroad. And at the same time. Kate did. And it damn near wrecked her. But I didn't know any of this until I sat down with her for this podcast. All I knew about her was that she was a veteran, a Tillman scholar, and fighting to help other veterans. That's how much of a badass she is. For some of us, the war is our problems. And that's where they began. Our PTSD, lost limbs, broken relationships. And that's something we've talked a lot about here. But for someone like Kate, the war was really a blessing in disguise. Instead of taking care of her parents, she got to take care of herself. Figure out what she liked, who she wanted to be. And it really did set her on her career path that she has today. Battle Scars is a Panoply podcast produced by Ryan Dilley, Shara Morris, and A.C. Valdez. Our theme music is composed by Daniel Dandy. The artwork by Jesse Brown. Special thanks to Andy Bowers, Panoply's chief content officer. I'm your host, Tom Tran. If you'd like the show, review us or rate us or just tell someone about us. And if you didn't enjoy it so much, oh, well, you know. <laughs>